All right, good morning. If you want to turn with me, I will be reading Galatians 3, 10 through 14. For all who rely on works of the law and under a curse, as it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous who live by faith will live by faith. Sorry, The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it is the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who, hung, who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Thank you, Michaela. So as we, as we transition from reading God's word to um, seeing what God has for us in his word, uh, we want to highlight reading God's word um, on its own because it's worthy of being read on its own. And, and so if you have the gift of reading, <laughs> I invite you to find uh, me, and I would love to get you on a rotation of reading his word. Um, so as we, as we look to God's word, I want to start out by saying this, that it is often that when we... Uh, go on this health kick. And so a lot of times the new year and new weather, uh, so spring, brings on health trends and health fads and, and all the fitness trends and all of these things. And what happens is that we find out that what actually was claimed to bring us health uh, a few years later, maybe a few months later, actually does the opposite and actually is detrimental to your health. And I think some of you can relate to maybe some of the things that have been happening. And I went back, way back, uh, and looked at some things uh, that were pretty out there that uh, scientists and doctors claimed that actually gave you health. And so I just want to highlight a few of these things. Radioactivity, let that one sink in. Radioactivity was uh, claimed to actually have life-giving benefits. And so in the early 1900s, uh, when something uh, in, our, in our culture, in our society, when something has benefits, we just seek to highlight it and make money off of it and let's go, go, go. So what did they do? They bottled radioactivity in radioactive water. Um, and it was claimed to bring you health. What it was actually doing was killing every single cell in your body slowly. And so the lifespan on radioactivity water was claimed to be 20 years after taking it, you were dead. Um, and unfortunately, the guy who claimed that was actually uh, a fact in that statement. He was dead 20 years later after drinking three bottles a day um, because he believed in it. Another one, heroin cough suppressant. Heroin cough suppressant. Another one, ingesting mercury. Mercury. Tobacco. LSD therapy. Think about that one. And cocaine, which was actually in the soft drink, Coca-Cola, which made it really addicting, which they made a lot of money off of the addiction. And so all of these things claimed to give you life. And what they were actually doing was taking your life. What, what was happening was you'd take it and you want the pill to the instant health claim. You want the fast track to uh, six-pack abs, if you will. So you buy the contraption and you sit on your living room chair and you, you let it work. But actually what they were doing was taking your life. See, the same thing is true of our life. More specifically, our Christian life. When, when we, Paul in this text is saying, when we rely on our works, 
When we rely on the law, we are cursed. When we rely on the law as a way to save ourselves, we end up enslaving ourselves. When we rely on what we do to earn our right standing with God to find a free life, we actually have an enslaved life, a cursed life, to put it in Paul's language. And what we've been walking through in this explicit gospel series, slowly walking through that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Everything. And in Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14, as Michaela read, we see three main points. We see that the law cannot save you, verses 10 through 12. And we see that only Jesus saves, in verses 13. And then we see a life redeemed in Christ leads to a life lived in community. So let's dive in. I'm going to reread this. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Curse is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law, verse 12, is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. See, what we, what we need to first understand is that before we even dive in, we need to understand that there is a misunderstanding in the church today that we hear this. There are two equal dangers in the Christian life. And it all comes from one word, legalism. There are two equal dangers, legalism or works-based self-righteousness or legalism in the form of lawlessness and licentiousness. So what we have to do, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you have to avoid both of those things. Lawlessness or legalism, they say, happens when you focus too much on what? The law or your works. Lawlessness, they say, happens when you focus too much on grace. So therefore, in order to maintain this equal balance between the two, you balance it. When, if you start getting too much law, you need to balance it with what? Grace. And when you have too much grace, you need to balance it with law. And what I want to do is say that that doesn't necessarily line up with Paul's teaching here. See, the enemy of the gospel is legalism. And the definition of legalism is this. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. Legalism is a way to save ourselves, and we do it in two primary ways. Some people avoid the gospel and try to save themselves by keeping the rules, doing what they're told, maintaining the standards. And other people avoid the gospel by trying to save themselves by what? Breaking the rules, rebelling. I've been saved so I can do what I want. So they set, you set the standard. There are two laws we can choose to live by other than Christ. The law that says this, I can find freedom and fullness in life if I keep the rules, and the law that says I can find freedom and fullness of life if I break the rules. Both, are, both in this, success is determined by your capacity to break the rules or keep the rules, which means you are both trying to save yourself. So because both are self-salvation projects, you are cursed you are cursed. If most people outside the church are guilty of break the rules legalism, most people in the church are guilty of keeping the rules legalism. This is what Paul is saying. We either drink the self-help poison to keep the rules or we drink it so we don't have to keep the rules. But who does it focus on? You, me, what I do. And what we see here is Paul saying that when we rely on these things that we think are good for us, 
they're really killing us. Relying on the law is like relying on radioactive water or LSD therapy or heroin cough syrup. We may think they're helping, but they are really killing us. This whole letter, Paul has been railing on relying on circumcision as the means of salvation. It cannot save us, is what Paul is saying, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's not Jesus plus circumcision or Jesus plus what we do. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. This is what Paul is saying in these verses. So if we look at verses 10 to 12, we see that the law cannot save you. Think about this. The, the thing is, is that we think that it is. For you type A'ers out there, my wife is, is one of them, and we, I have a list in, on, on the kitchen counter uh, with a planner. It actually is a planner with the to-do list for the day. And throughout the day, if I leave in the morning, I see the list because she makes it the night before, and then I come back at the end of the day, and what do I see? Things are crossed off. Things are done. Things are checked. The boxes are checked. Us, the type A in us, we like to cross it off our list. We like to take the daily dose of medicine that's helping. But as we read verse 10 again, we see a key word here. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. That word rely, that word trust, bank on, Put your full hope in. The key word is rely. The book of Galatians is telling us that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But the people of Galatia have been swayed to rely on what as their means to salvation? Circumcision. What they do. Their works. And who is the focus? Them. And Paul here quotes Deuteronomy 27, 26. And he says, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. He is saying that if you're going to live by the law, you better obey the whole thing. If, if you're going to put your hope, you better do it perfectly in the law. If you're, going to put your, if you're going to rely on, trust in, bank on you keeping the rules, you better keep every single one of them. And, and this holds up with, with the full scope of Scripture. James 2.10 tells us, For whoever keeps the law but fails on one point will become guilty of it. Of all of it. And Paul later on in Galatians says this, chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. Again, I declare every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Here's the reality there are over 613 thou shalt and thou shalt nots in the Bible. Over 613. If we're reading the Bible like a demand, We'll find them. We'll find every single one of them. But, if we, but as we see previous to this text, we see that the Bible is not a command but a promise. We see that the law exposes that we cannot execute it perfectly and that we need help. That we need help. The law is God's word of demand, but the gospel is God's word of deliverance. The law tells us what to do. The gospel tells us what God has done and will do. The distinction is key, but the distinction is hard. And let me invite you into my life. Personally, I love to read. I love obtaining knowledge. I love reading those who are much smarter than me, who lived a life different than me. I love gaining. I love sitting down with a good book and a cup of coffee and relaxing. Coffee is necessary. At my best, though, I read to seek more of Jesus and become more dependent on him to learn more about who he is and what he's done. At my best, that is why I read. But at my worst, 
The more I read, the better I feel. The more I read, the more self-reliant I become. And this transition, as, as we're transitioning with, with Pastor Nick transitioning out and I'm transitioning in, let me just tell you, I have been at my worst a lot. It's brought this out more and more, that the more I know, the more I read, the more you as the flock are coming to me as the one who has the answers, because I read a lot, right? That's why I have all the answers, that, that, remember, at my worst. The more I have it together, all together, the more I have the answers, get this, the more accepted I will become by you, and that actually transfers the more accepted I am in God. You guys get that? And I've been at my worst a lot lately. See, on my best days, I know I am loved by God in Christ, but on my worst days, I feel like I have to do something to earn this. This is a lie. This is a lie because this is the truth. God tells us that in Christ, we are no more loved on our best days than we are our worst days. That his love for me, his love for you is not conditioned or earned by me or you. It was given to us in Christ. So I never condition his love. What I do or don't do never earns or loses his love. Do you guys see how this plays out in my life in particular and maybe in yours? See, what we need to know is that both God's law and both God's grace found in the gospel come from God. So they're good. They're a blessing. But both do very different things. Serious life confusion, like what I just confessed to you at my best and at my worst, happens when we fail to understand their job descriptions. We'll wrongly depend on the law what only the gospel could do, just like what I was doing. So when I read, I felt better. When I didn't, when I didn't have the answer, I felt not accepted and actually transferred to my relationship with God. See, the law commands but doesn't give. The law says do, but the gospel says done. It is finished. Paul, in Romans 10, verse 10, says, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death, just like radioactive water. See, if we rely on how much we obey, if you here rely on your quiet time with God as a means to earning your salvation with God, you will be enslaved. You will be. Obedience, though, get this, obedience is not a bad thing. God calls us to obey his demands. But for those who have put their faith in Christ, which is what Paul is calling us to here, our motive for obedience has changed. Get this. Why we obey is no longer to gain, but because we have gained everything in Christ. Let's play this out. When relying on the law or our works to save or earn God's blessing, our motivation is to gain, to cause, to merit God's acceptance. But when saved by grace through faith in Christ, Get this, our obedience is now a loving response to what he's done. And Paul, in verse 11, quotes Habakkuk 2.4. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Our behavior, our fruit reveals our faith. It doesn't gain it. They are meant to be fruits of our reliance on Christ, not as a source of our salvation, but we distort this. The law and the gospel are gospel different in promises that each make. The law offers this great news, good news, 
get this, the, the law offers good news to those who keep its demands. The gospel offers good news for those who know they don't. Think about this. Think of a world in which the Ten Commandments, the law, were perfectly kept. Can we imagine this? Imagine a universe where God was feared, where he was loved, where he was trusted, and all things the neighbor was so loved so selflessly that there would be no murder, no theft, no mugging in a Walmart parking lot, no carjacking, no lying, no coveting, no school shootings, no racism, no violence. Think of a world in which the law was kept, but this is what the law promises. This world, but what its only stipulation is is that you keep it perfectly. Leviticus 18.5 says, do the law and you will live. See, the gospel, by contrast, says, I make a promise without a demand or a condition. It is a word from God that does not manipulate, but simply gives and does what it says, namely the forgiveness of sins. The gospel is the message that salvation is not achieved, but received by grace through faith in Christ, Ephesians 2.8. The gospel is a word that promises blessing to those who are cursed. It promises righteousness to the unrighteous, life to the, de- to the dead. It promises to restore all things. Think about this. Right now, Jesus wants to restore your marriage. I know for a fact that there are marriages in this room who are hurting. I know for a fact that Jesus wants to restore your work so that you're no longer finding your identity in what you do, but in who he is. He wants to restore the music you listen to. He wants to restore the art that you create. He wants to restore the money you have. He wants to restore you fully, freely, so that we may be free. See, right here in verses 10 through 12, Paul says the effects of the gospel are different. The the law hurls people into despair. The law, as I was talking with Nick this week, and we were talking about this concept, he came up, he was listening to a radio, a sermon on the radio, and he says, I heard it like this. The law is an MRI scan that gives you a diagnosis with no prognosis. The law is an MRI scan. It shows you who you really are and what's really going on in the inside. But it's like it's identified and the doctor walks out of the room and says, see you later, good luck. It's like it tells you to drink this water of life but lies to you and is really poison just like that radioactive water. And Galatians 3.10 tells us that if you rely on the works of the law, you will be cursed. Why? Because you know you can't keep it. And, and here's the questions that we can ask with that. You think you do, so let's go with it. Do you really love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind? Can you really say that there's nothing in you that you've ever wanted more or loved more than God? Can I truly say, me personally, that I love my neighbor as myself? And so on and so on I can go and the answer will be no. And then you might be saying in this room, I get it. You're asking the right question, so I'm thankful for that. You might say, well... I'm not perfect. And that is exactly the point. You may be saying, Derek, hold on, stop. That's harsh. We're not perfect. So as a Christian, you saying that, why do you pretend to be? Why do you walk in this room? Why do you go out in the world and pretend to be okay when you're not? 
Why do we say, I just had this conversation this past week, why do we say, I'm okay, how are you doing? I'm great, when there's a bomb going off behind you. Why can't we be honest with each other? Why can't we be transparent with each other? So you may be saying, I'm not perfect, and that is exactly the point. Just like radioactive water, the law promises health, but it actually ends up killing you. We know we're not perfect, and if we were to be honest with yourself, if I were to be honest with myself, I am more flawed than I ever could imagine. But this next verse in verse 13 tells me that I am way more loved than I ever dared dreamed. Let's read verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He became a curse. He took on death, and we are pardoned and free. And get this, he quotes, Paul quotes Deuteronomy 21, 23 here. In, in Deuteronomy 23, 21, 23 says that cursed is everyone who is hung from a tree or a pole, depending on your translation. See, what happened is a criminal was executed. So a rightful criminal who was guilty was executed. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty common thing that they were executed. And what they did was take this dead corpse and hang it on a pole and made an example of that person. If you do this, you will be this. If you break the law, you will be like this person. So don't do it. And what Paul says to us here is that Jesus saves us from that curse. We look at verse 13, and we see that Paul applied this text to Jesus, and that would have been outrageous. Jesus was condemned like a criminal, and that even saying that is hard to say, but get this, the fact that we know we're not perfect is bad news. Because God demands perfection. The fact that Jesus brings, takes the curse upon himself and brings this redemption is the good news. The bad news is what makes the good news good news. Paul applies this text to Jesus, and it is the gospel that God made us to perfectly reflect who he is, but we rebelled, and we rebelled in two different ways. We rebelled in trying to keep the rules, and we rebel in trying not to keep the rules. The law, we push back and we pave our own way and we do our own thing and we try and save ourselves. We live by our works and it's exhausting. We are separated from God because of that. But right here, the gospel says Christ has made a way back. This is love right here. Paul is saying that you want to know if God loves you, look to Jesus. You want to know how much you are loved? Look to the cross. This is love. It's not flowers and roses like the media portrays it to be or our society portrays it to be. It is a costly, deep, rich, wrath-absorbing, burden-bearing, grace-saturated, in-my-place, condemned-he-stood kind of love. 1 John 4.9 tells us this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This, verse 10, is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This works. This is complete. Works do not work. But this does. The law can never do what Christ can accomplish. He's reconciled us to our father, to our creator, the law was never meant to do that. 
The law was meant to expose our sin. Paul tells us that in Romans 7. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I wouldn't know I had a need for a savior if I didn't see that I was a sinner. Paul knows what he wants to do, but knows he can't do it. And so Romans 7, it says, the desire I have, I can't do. And so he goes in this rebuttal, in this despair. And at the end of that, he says, but praise be to God. And and what we need to realize is that the law is the MRI that reveals the poison that we've been drinking. The law cannot make the tree of death, of curse, and make it into a tree of life. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can save us. So verse 13 tells us that Jesus took the punishment of us not being able to hold the whole law. He lived the perfect life on our behalf, died the death that we deserved, and absorbed the wrath of God in full. The debt was paid. It is finished. So not only does our faith in the finished work of Christ reconcile us with our creator vertically, but it also reconciles us together with one another horizontally. So vertical and horizontal, and this is my last point. Verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And if you were to break down this text in the Greek, you would see that he front-loaded this, this right here, verse 14, with the Gentiles. It's like Paul is exclaiming, can you believe it? Even the Gentiles can get in on this. Even them can, can have a way back home to the creator of the universe. Can you believe it? And it's almost like an exclamation point in the Greek. And then we see this, us and we. Look at these, these words. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that by faith we, Jesus unites us, paves a way back home to our Father vertically, but also makes us together horizontally by faith. So a life redeemed in Christ leads to a life lived in community See, what God wants to do and what what we have is a foretaste of what's to come in heaven, that a people from all nations, all tongues, all tribes, all languages, all races, all cultures, all generations now brought together by the one who did it, and that's Christ. That's what the church is meant to be about. It's actually our diversity that points to the amazing uniting power of Christ. There are two implications, the vertical and the horizontal. So I'm going to ask us two questions here. Are we spending time with God? Are you slowing down and seeing him for who he really is? Stemming from this redemption, knowing our motivation, we now have access to the almighty God. Are you spending time with him? And Paul tells us previous to this how we, how we should. We should read our, his promises with Christ on our mind. We should pray, confessing our need for him. Are you getting quiet before God? See, if we understood the privilege that we have, that Christ paved the way back to our heavenly father, the one who formed us in, the, in, our, in our mother's womb, then we'd slow down with him. I mean, we'd make it a priority and understand that that doesn't earn anything. It only reveals everything. And then, and then the second question, are you spending time with one another? See, when we understand that our life as a believer who put their hope and their faith in Christ is a preview of what's to come, 
then this isn't a have to, this is a get to. Spending time together, spending life with one another, doing life with one another. Our life together is a reflection of what Christ has done, of who he is and what he creates. Our diversity, our race, our age, our backgrounds, our socioeconomic status, all of this living together points to the mighty power of God in Christ. Do your friendships, do the people you spend time with reflect what Christ has done in your life? See, this is why we have community groups here is because John 13, 35 says that we, you will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. They will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. And if we're not intentionally spending time outside of Sunday morning with one another, how will they, the they being those who aren't believers, those who don't know the love of Christ, those who are outside of this redemption in Christ, how will people know what Christ does in you and through you if you're not spending time with one another? This is why we have Bible studies throughout the week. This is why we have DNA groups throughout the week. So that we can spend time with one another because we want one thing through our community. We want our lives to be lived in such a way in which the only explanation is Jesus. And I use this reference a lot. My friend Lance, he usually sits right there. He's downstairs teaching. There, it makes zero sense why he and I are friends. But uh, Friday he calls me and we spent 40 minutes talking about Exodus 4 on the phone. And if you were to see him, he is the complete opposite of me. He is bearded, not going to happen. He's pretty strong. I'm not. I'm lanky. He likes fishing and hunting and uh, trapping um, animals. He, he just, all of those things that I have no idea about, but what unites Lance and I together is the blood of Christ. And he is one of my closest friends. And I want that for us here. I want our friendships to not be explained by anything other than Christ. And community groups force us to do that. See, if you've been redeemed from the curse, if Christ set you free by taking the curse on himself, then what follows is a serious life of gratitude for his power to bring us together, for his power to redeem us to our Father, our hope, our creator, and to bring us back to one another. See, this is the gospel. This is what we remember as we approach the table this morning for community. So as I invite the worship team up, we remember what Christ has done, that he became a curse on our behalf so we no longer stand condemned under a holy God, that he fulfilled the whole law, that he absorbed the righteous wrath of God so that we no longer have to. In Matthew 26 Starting in verse 26, it says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. See, this time, as we approach his table, this time is a, is a place where we remember Jesus becoming a curse on our behalf. Remember his body that was broken, his blood that was poured out as the way back home. See, this is a time for those who have put your faith in Christ as our only hope. This is a time for those who have said, I'm sold out for you, Christ, to remember this, to remember Jesus, to gaze into him, and as you gaze into him, to remember that every lack that I feel, every shortfall, every way I know I don't earn or gain or add up, Jesus took 
and you receive it empty-handed by grace and gratitude and humility. So I encourage you to slow down and reflect. And those who haven't, those who haven't said, I'm in, those who are actually pushing back and say, I don't want this, I just want to challenge you. Why haven't you put your hope in Jesus? What's stopping you? After hearing the gospel, after hearing all of these things, why haven't I put my hope in Jesus? Why haven't I made that leap? And maybe this time right now is a, is a time for you to slow down and say, I have no other reasons to not believe, so I believe. And maybe you can take communion for the first time, remembering the goodness of God revealed in Christ. So I'm gonna ask us to pray and then come and worship and, and take the communion as the, as the Spirit leads you. Let's, let's pray. Father, we come to you empty-handed. We come to you in need, knowing that every need we have, you have fulfilled in Christ. Pray that you would reveal just how good you are. Reveal your gentleness. Reveal your love for us, God, in Christ, that you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, would be our only hope that we would grab to you and never let go, knowing full well you're never letting go of us. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would move here and bring those who have not put their hope and trust in you, that you would soften hearts here by your grace through Jesus to bring new life and life to the fullest. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.